0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, we have been in our series in Galatians, and today we're picking up in chapter 2, verse 11. And the whole theme of what we keep talking about is don't give away your freedom. I mean, when Jesus came into your life, he set you free. He set you free from all sorts of things, and and, and you don't want to give up that freedom or go back to a, a time of living by these rules and regulations that cannot save you, um, and, and this is the very essence of what we're going to be dealing with today in chapter 2. There's a confrontation that happens, and... Paul opposes Peter, and he does it publicly. Now that's a pretty big deal. I mean, Peter's kind of seen as the apostles' apostle. He's like the leader, the known as the leader of the apostles. And um, for Peter, for, for Peter to be confronted, that was a pretty huge deal. But we're going to see that Peter needed to be confronted. And we're going to read about an incident in these few verses that the journey of Peter going to Antioch, which is, that's where the first Gentile church was established, that Peter comes there and that is not recorded in the book of Acts, nor is Peter's reaction to this confrontation recorded. Um... I have some speculations about that, and, uh, and I can share those with you, but remember, they're just my personal speculations. Um, and, and, you know, it's okay for me to share that as long as I say that, you know, that this is not what the Bible says. This is just what I'm, you know, pulling from it, and it's just something to think about. So basically, here's what happened. Now, you got to remember, Paul's already been to Jerusalem. And um, they had the Jerusalem Council years before this. They had settled the issue about Gentiles being saved. They had settled the issue that they didn't have to live under the Old Testament law. They settled the big issue that they're, they didn't have to be circumcised, which was the big issue that was coming up and uh, that they were dealing with. So all that was settled in Jerusalem. So Paul's operating under, like, this is a done deal. So let's get into the story, and let's see what happens. We're going to start in verse 11, chapter 2 of Galatians. But when Peter came to Antioch, the first Gentile church, that's where it was located, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. Wow, (laughs) that's enough to bait you right there. So, wow. And this kind of tells me something, too, about a process. If you're going to deal with something that someone else does, if you don't have the guts to do it to their face, maybe you don't need to say anything, right? I mean, if, if you've got to deal with somebody or you hear about something, if you're not willing to deal with them straight up about it, then you basically have to... Pretty much keep your mouth shut about it in fact i would i would say this I, I think this is a good principle to live by when you become aware of a situation you need to begin by asking god why did you make me aware of this did you make me aware of this so that i can just simply pray for my friend Did you make me aware of this event so that I can be a a source of a peacemaker with my friend? Or did you share this with me because you want me to go and do the confronting about it? It, Those are very appropriate prayers. And it's important that when you have information, when you're told something, you need to ask yourself, why, why did God make sure that I knew about this? And um, you know when when somebody tells me something, um, there have been several occasions when um, they'll say things like, "Now I don't want you to say anything." I said, "Well, you know it depends on what you tell me. Because if you if you're about to tell me something that is uh, falls under certain categories, I don't have a choice." And I've had people, they'll come in, they'll start telling me about an incident. And I'll stop them and I'll just say, in fact, this just recently happened. And, uh, and I stopped them and I said, hey, before you go any further, you just need to know when you share this information with me, because I got a feeling I know what you're going to share with me, When you share this information with me, I have to do something about it. Not only legally I'm required, but morally I'm required. So just be aware. Just be aware that you cannot just come and dump this on me and then expect me to do nothing about it. There are certain things that I have to respond to. So this is a situation that Paul had to respond. That's how monumental... The event was. So let's let's get into it and let's see what happened. Verse 12. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. So that was huge. He was basically backing up what they had settled in Jerusalem, and by having fellowship with the non circumcised Gentiles, he was saying, I agree with our position that you're saved by faith alone through Jesus Christ and nothing else, period, end of story. That you don't have to go back and live by Old Testament law. You don't have to be circumcised, which was the big thing. And and so he was saying to them, I accept your salvation. I affirm your salvation. So we're good up to that point. But afterwards... When some friends of James came. Now, there's some, there's some people, some theologians who think that maybe these really weren't friends at all. But rather, they were like spies or deceivers. Uh, they were pretenders. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. So we won't spend time on that. Um, So anyway, he says, when some friends of James came, Peter, Peter changed. He wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So these were the Judaizers that we've talked about. People, the, the, certain Jews who said, yeah, you're saved by Jesus plus circumcision. You're not really a believer with just Jesus alone. You have to do these other things. So they added to salvation. So they weren't real believers anyway. They were not, they were pretend believers in my opinion. And, and so Peter, here he is like the head guy. Perceived as the top dog, basically. And why is it that he was living in fear of these men? I mean, fear of, man, fear of man is going to get you in trouble every time, right? It's going to get you in trouble every single time. The Bible says the only person you should be afraid of is God. That's it. But you live in fear of people, it sets you up. Now, here, here's some speculation. You know, there's um, there's sin nature that you and I have, and even after we're saved, and that sin nature has been put to death, I think sometimes I think sometimes we still struggle with it. It still kind of rears its head. So when I read this about Peter, and and he's all of a sudden afraid of these guys that they had pretty much already disputed in Jerusalem. It reminds me of Peter back when Jesus was arrested. And what was Peter like then? Peter, um, Jesus was arrested in the garden, And um, Peter had already bowed and declared earlier that evening, you know, I'll die for you, Jesus. You know, and Jesus said, hey, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. And man, that was bitter news to Peter. And and so um, when we go to Israel, we actually go to the place where this happened, um, where we go to the high priest's home and, uh, and 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 there, there is the location of probably the first cell that Jesus was actually put into after he was arrested. And three different times, people pointed to Peter and said, "Hey, you're you're one of those guys. You're a follower of Jesus." And three times. Peter was afraid of men and in one case of the, basically a little girl he was afraid of these people and lived in fear of them that he would deny Jesus three times and this is after he had already been told that it was going to happen so he had an opportunity to get ready for this and he still wasn't ready and the Bible tells us that afterwards, once his eyes connected with Jesus's, he heard the rooster crow three times, or rooster crow. And um, in fact, they built a church on top of this site. And the, on the very top of the church, for the wind vane, they actually have a rooster on that. And the Bible says that Peter went out and basically wept uncontrollably, bitter weeping. He could not be consoled. It, it makes me wonder that when Paul confronted him, The reason we have no words that Peter responded to him. I wonder if all of a sudden Peter realized, man, I've gone back to my old sin nature. And I'm denying Jesus again. Because if you bought into the theology that you're saved plus circumcision... You're basically, you are without a doubt, denying Jesus's death on the cross as to what it really did. You're saying it was not sufficient. In fact, you're almost saying it was not necessary. Because if you can save yourself by works, why did did Jesus have to die on the cross? So my viewpoint, just my viewpoint. Maybe that old sin nature of Peter's came back and haunted him in that moment. And when Peter said what he said, or when Paul said what he said to Peter, maybe in his mind he went back to where he denied Jesus those three times and maybe he thought, oh my goodness, I've denied Jesus a fourth time. And just maybe, the reason we don't have a recording of what he said is that he went off by himself and he wept bitterly again. I don't know. I think Peter was dealing with that old sin nature coming back. I think that's how he fell into this. That's why he started living in fear of people again. Which is a good lesson for me that um, I'm never above temptation. You're never above temptation. And, and if Satan's going to trap you, it's going to be with the old stuff. And the reason it's with the old stuff is because it's most familiar to you. In fact, the further you're... Um, I was just talking to my friend here. we I took the 12th graders' um, deep, uh, we, we went on a trip, I take the 12th graders on a trip each year, and, and part of this trip we went deep sea fishing um, at a friend's house out in the Outer Banks, and, and I was just talking to him about it, and uh, uh, so one kid got seasick. And that started a process (laughs) and, and, uh, and so several people started, and and Jim keeps plenty of buckets around for that purpose. And and so a lot of people were getting seasick, but they were, we were still catching fish and still having a blast. And, um. And I remember one of the moms contacted me and said, my son just texted me and he was so excited that as he was getting sick, you were getting sick right next to him. And uh, he thought that was so cool. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, But it's interesting, that's been two weeks now, and when I talked to the guys, I said, so what do you think about when you think about a trip? Oh, the deep sea fishing was amazing. They don't don't think about the getting sick part. They think about catching fish part, and they think about how much fun that was. And and I said, "It's, it's interesting. The further away you get from something, you think more of the positive things. The same thing is true with your old sin nature. The further you get away from an old sin nature, And you think back to it or feel drawn back to it, you think about the fun part of it, not the sick part of it. And um, that's why you have to really guard your heart because you're always a setup for your old sin nature, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. So here's Peter Maybe he got drawn back to that old sin nature of being in fear of man. So, verse 12 again. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, and we think they were probably pretenders, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity uh, of circumcision. Why in the world would he be afraid of them? Because they'd already settled that issue. Uh, just, like, just like when Jesus was being arrested, he was afraid of these total strangers around a campfire thinking that he was one of the disciples. So, verse thirteen as a result, this is the influence of a leader. as a result, other Jewish believers followed peter 's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their even barnaby Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Man, that had to cut to the core to Paul. Um, a hypocrite. A hypocrite in the Greek gives the idea of an actor who wears a mask to betray something else, an emotion. So when you would use the word hypocrite in the Bible, it's talking about you're putting on a mask being something that you're really not. And and so Paul is saying, look, Barnabas, you and Peter and you other guys are being led astray by this hypocrisy, you're being something that you're not meant to be. Um, You know, the pressure must have been great on Barnabas. I got to cut him a little bit of slack here because he was from Cyprus, which was a Gentile center. And he was involved in the missionary program with Paul to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And yet for him to turn back so quick, um, that had to sting with Paul. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. So he didn't mince any words about this. I said to Peter in front of all the others. So it was a public sin Therefore it needed a public rebuke. Since you a Jew by birth have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a gentile, I mean Peter you've been doing this since the Jerusalem council in you know that many years ago why are you now trying to make these gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? What's changed? And the only explanation that's been given so far is fear of people. It will get you in trouble every time. Fear of what your friends are going to think. Fear of how somebody's going to react. So by withdrawing from the Gentile Christians, Peter and the other Jewish believers were not walking in line with God's word. And... Um, Imagine what that was doing to the Gentile believers. I mean, they're looking at Peter, and they were so excited. The head of the church is there in their city, and they thought, what a blessing. And he came and ate in my home, and now he won't even talk to me. Maybe I'm not really saved. That's the kind of impact it would have had. Because these would have been fairly young believers. Maybe Paul was wrong. I mean, you can only imagine what they were thinking. This is another reason why Paul had to rebuke Peter publicly, because he had to get it out there. Peter, you are slap wrong. I mean, you are off the chart wrong on this. Verse 15, he said, you and I, and he puts himself in the middle here, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Now, that's the phrase that they would use for Gentiles. Non-Jews were called sinners because the Jews had the Old Testament law, the Gentiles did not, and so they just were classified as sinners, even though everybody was a sinner. Verse 16, yet we we know that a person is made right— you don't make yourself right. God made you right. A person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. That's impossible. We're proof that that's impossible. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not Because we have have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So here's the difference. Obeying the law is something you do. So that means you are thinking that you have the capacity to make yourself right with God. And that's impossible. If it were possible there would have been no need for Jesus to have died on a cross. No need. And what Paul is saying, he said, look, you're trying to save yourself with laws. That's impossible. You cannot be made right with God by your own efforts. You are made right with God solely by the efforts of God. Period. And his effort was Jesus dying on a cross, and that was sufficient. And Peter, you are adding to what Jesus did, and you're saying it wasn't enough. And Peter's still silent, because he knew he knew he was wrong. And he knew Paul was right. Verse, um, the last verse there. Or I'm sorry, the end of verse 16. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law, it is impossible. So, Paul's argument was to address those who were Jews by birth, which included Peter and himself. And he's saying, why why bind these Gentile sinners with the law? Only Jesus made you right with God. And if you try to do it, you're gonna fail every single time. You know, the law basically was a mirror. It was a mirror for the Jewish people to see their need for a Messiah. The Ten Commandments, it's impossible for you to keep all Ten Commandments. Uh, The Ten Commandments, yes, we should try to do that, but it's basically a mirror to show us our sinfulness. It's a mirror that shows us our need for Jesus. It's a mirror that shows us We are not in right relationship with God. It's impossible for us to be in right relationship with God on our own merits. That's what the Ten Commandments are there for. And it shows us our need for Jesus. Verse 17, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. See, Paul was a master of this. Uh, He was a master of using logic. And he was just saying, hey, Peter, think about it for a second. Jesus died for us. He saved us. He made us right with God. But then he says, oh, by the way, you got to keep the Old Testament law too. I mean, he set us up. And, And if the Old Testament law was sufficient, then Jesus died needlessly. It was not, not, not needed. So if the Judaizers doctrine was correct, then Paul, Peter, Barnabas, and all the other Jewish believers fell back into a category of sin, sinners because they were eating and fellowshipping with the Gentiles. That's why Peter quit eating with the Gentiles. For him to eat with the Gentiles put him in the category of a sinner. Verse 18. Rather, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of the law, I already tore down. Paul Paul said, hey... If I try to rebuild this uh, rules and regulations, I'm, I'm the one that's a sinner. That false system of salvation through legalism is not going to work. It never has worked. Verse 19, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. And I want to tell you, based on what I've read in the Bible, Paul, you know, Paul probably did one of the best jobs at keeping the laws of the Old Testament. But he basically said, no, the reality is it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. See, Jesus set him free You know, when a, when a person is convicted of a capital crime and executed, the law no longer has a claim on him because he's been executed. So it is with a Christian. When you have died in Christ and you're raised from the dead in a new life with him, justice has been satisfied And therefore, the law no longer has a hold on you or a claim on you. Uh, This is how Paul put it in verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. So get this when, when a person trusted Christ for salvation, here's what happens. And, and, you're, and the baptism is what symbolizes this you spir- spiritually participate with the Lord's crucifixion, you spiritually are with Jesus nailed to a cross. And you are spiritually buried with him. And on that third day, you spiritually were raised from the dead with him. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Verse 21 I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, which it cannot, then there is no need for Christ to die. Paul was saying to Peter, You watched Jesus go to the cross, you watched him die. And if what you're saying now is true, all of that was for nothing. All of it was for nothing. You cannot earn your salvation. So stop trying. Stop wasting your energy. The essence of grace is what God has done for you, not what you can do for yourself. Well, each week we go to one of the fruit of the Spirit. We've already dealt with the first triad, which are virtues of the habits of the mind, love, joy, and peace, which is, you find the source of that in God, and love is the foundation of all the other graces. So now we go into this second triad of words, and we're going to deal with the first one verse 5:22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives: love, joy and peace, and then patience. Patience is a quality when you're under uh, when you're being provoked. Uh, this, I think, many of us misunderstand patience. Here, here's patience. It's when you entertain no thoughts of retaliation, even when you've been wrongly treated. That's patience. You know, now you think patience is just waiting on your wife to get ready to go out to dinner. Uh, that's what you think patience is. No, 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 patience refers to the ability to endure injuries inflicted by others. And your willingness to accept irritating and painful situations. That's patience. Some of your Bibles use the word long-suffering. Your patient even when you're being wronged. Your marriages survive when you understand the word patience. Ephesians 4.2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults why? Because of your love. You remember I said love is the foundation for all these other things? That's the first word in the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the foundation that allows you to be patient. First Timothy 1.16 But God had mercy on me so that Jesus Christ could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. If you really want a definition of patience, look at God in relationship to you. If God, let's just go ahead and be honest about this. If God was not a patient God, he would have been done with me a long time ago. And my guess is, you would be right there with me. Man, he'd have been done with me in high school. He would have been done with me long ago. But because of his patience. And see, he's put into me his character. The fruit of the Spirit is his character. And he's put patient there. So... When you struggle with being patient with someone, here's the way you pray. Father, as you are patient with me, give me the ability to be patient with my friend. Give me the patience that you have shown me that I might show it to others. Let's pray.